you know what? I need to switch the camera angle back so the guest, so everybody can see the guest dancing because everybody always dances to that music <laughs> and nobody can see it. <laughs> right, right. How can you not dance? You got to dance with that. I heard, I heard the song on an ad the other day. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I, was, oh, no. I was like, uh, it, it's kind of a, a Pavlovian, Pavlovian, I, know, I can't even say the word. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a, it, it's like that Pavlovian thing now where I hear it. I'm like, Oh, and we're live, but it, it wasn't it was <laughs> just a TV advert. Right. It's, it's funny hearing it uh, at normal speed. Cause I listen to all my podcasts, you know, like 1.7 or eight or something wild like that. So I'm used to that, like really, really bumping. I was like, oh yeah, this is like the chill down, chill down version. <laughs> how, how do you do it? How do you listen to podcasts at two times speed, 1.8 speed? Yeah. I mean, I have to, if I listen to it at 1.0, I just go, it, it drives me bonkers. Like I, I, there's just not enough going on. You know, part of that is the, I think the ADHD thing. I'm like, if, if it doesn't keep my interest, like every second, then I'm bored and trying to move on. So I got to keep, keep it going, keep it interesting. <laughs> So you'll hate me talking to you then because I talk really slowly uh, and I don't <laughs> talk fast. So. That's that's good. I closed everything else down so I don't have little distractions on my screen. So we'll, we'll be good. <laughs> so you, you're okay when you're having a conversation then. You don't find yourself getting distracted unless the conversation is really bored, boring. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it depends because for like sometimes – if a conversation is really boring, it can be really difficult to stay in. And a lot of times I'll be having in my mind, I'm like, Oh, Oh my word, just get to the point, get to the point. What, what is my takeaway from this conversation? Especially if it's like an interruption. So like if I'm, if I'm in the middle of doing something and you know, for example, my wife will come over and want to tell me something like I want to hear her story. You know, I want to be a good husband and listen and be part of that, you know, communication, but my brain is just like, I want to get back to the thing that I know is giving me dopamine that is interesting. And not that the conversation isn't interesting, but it's like, what, what's, what, what is my takeaway? Or I'm just going to go mad with this conversation. So that definitely can happen, which is pretty common for yeah people with ADHD where if, yeah, you kind of get to that, like just, just the facts, ma'am, like what, what is my takeaway here so that I can move back to my dopamine activity or whatever it is. You see, I've, I've got a theory about podcasts, right, that over, over the longest time, you know, I still feel like we're only just getting into podcasts. So they're only starting to just become mainstream now. And I've got a theory over maybe the next 10 or 20 years that podcasts like this, where we're having long-form, sl really slow conversations that do not get to the point very quickly, <laughs> I, I've got a feeling that these are going to be the most kind of popular podcasts. But for people like you, these must be a nightmare to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> well, on like I use the Overcast app and yeah. that does a great thing where it cuts out silence. So it speeds up conversation and it cuts out the silence. So it's great. I love I love these kind of conversation podcasts because it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like I have to be you know like productively consuming like I don't have to be like actively taking notes, you know like it's yeah you know, like it's a lesson or something. It's just an interesting conversation between people that are, you know, somewhat like-minded with me and discussing things I care about. And it feels, you know, there's that weird thing where 
you feel like you're having that conversation, like you're part of that conversation. Yes. So like you and I, we've, you know, we've exchanged, you know, some tweets and a couple of random back and forth, just video messages on Twitter, but we've never actually talked before, but I feel like I've had conversations with you because I've listened to a lot, several of your podcasts and obviously I can see your personality online, but yeah, there's, there's like that conversation that happens outside of the conversation and so then when you're finally like kind of meeting a person like this, it's like, oh yeah, we're just kind of picking up where we already were, at least to me, for you, you you haven't been listening to my podcast cause I don't have one. So you, you don't have that same, uh, same thing as much, but yeah, I, I totally agree. I think there's something about that back and forth conversation in a podcast that is really compelling, even when there's, I mean, almost especially when there's not a dedicated topic you know, it's just sort of, Hey, we have sort of similar interests. It's like hanging out with your buddies yeah. that yeah. Discuss the same sort of thing. Yeah. The, I, I usually call it being the third person in the room kind of podcast. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I think that's the kind of podcast that will eventually in the long term prove to be the most successful rather than the ones where you feel like, I don't know, maybe, maybe it feels the same for you or maybe not the same for everybody, but podcasts for me, feel like entertainment or light entertainment i don't want to be sat there with a notebook and pen trying to write down all the insights and i especially i don't want to be sat there writing down the insights so i can write a fucking twitter thread because i'm sick of reading the fucking twitter threads but the the, the wider point i'm making is that podcasts feel like fun to me listening to a conversation is is fun because I enjoy having conversations and I don't like the podcast, although it's not the same for everyone, but I don't like the podcast that try to turn it into an educational thing as much. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I find that podcasts that are, especially the ones with like a single host where they have a, you know, a plan that they're trying to, yeah, educate you on. I just don't, I just don't connect with it that way. Like a video of that same sort of thing, I'm into it. But for some reason, the podcast form, it's like, I, yeah, I want to view it as entertainment. Like you said, it, I, I'm reminded, I was recently looking at, there's, there's like, I'm all over the place, but there's this notion template that is about, you know, there's like the resonance. I forget what those templates are called, but it's about like kind of tracking different things you're reading or watching or listening to or whatever. Mm. And there is a, like one of the categories in this template that I got was for podcast. And I thought about it and I was like, I don't want my podcast in here. Like it feels like a completely different thing. Like this, the, the template's great. And it's really interesting for tracking things I'm reading because I want to like be able to refer back to it and content that I create or whatever. But for podcasts, I just wanted like flip on my, you know, my latest cue and go for a walk or go for a drive and just have it play. And yeah, kind of be that entertainment, be that third person in the room for some interesting conversation. I, I, th I think, it, not, sorry, go on. Well, and just, and not feel like you said, like, I got to make this into a Twitter thread. I, I have to, I have to use this. I can get, I could get 20 followers from this, you know, whatever, like the, that mindset is like, sometimes you just want to turn it off. And for me, I think podcasts are a place. I just want to turn that off. Yeah. I, I agree, and I think I, I'm more and more thinking like this as we 
you know, it seems like I mentioned Thomas J. Bevan on every single one of my podcasts now, <laughs> but I, I'm going to mention him again. Ever since Thomas got kicked off Twitter and he's kind of like saying, I don't want to go back. And he started this like secret discord thing that's full of people that shun quote unquote content and seven mm. things I've learned type Twitter threads and, and all that kind of thing. I've, I've been getting more and more sick of reading those kind of things, but also creating those kind of things because for, for the longest time on Twitter, it, it's always been about showing who I truly am. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you enjoy listening to me or reading the things that I say, that's what it's really about. It's not about me sharing learnings from other people's content because you can get that from other places. And I, I kind of come full circle with the podcast thing as well and pretty much any other kind of content that I made. When I first started making content, probably just over a year ago now, well, seriously making content, I've been doing it for years, but when I first started doing it, I was very in that point where I I was like, every single thing I make and say has to have value and the value has to be external and, you know, there needs to be a learning point from every single bit of content that I create. And you drive yourself crazy thinking like that. Yeah. Because you second guess everything that you say, that you write, that you put on Twitter, that you put on YouTube, that you make into a podcast. And I found the thing that really brought it home with me was when I made a podcast with my friends last year during lockdown that was just nonsense. And that was kind of one of the things I enjoyed the most and people seemed to enjoy listening to it. And and that was it. That was it when I did that. I was like, I'm making things that I enjoy making from now on because if I do that, other mm. people enjoy them too. And there's still value in that. Yeah, for sure. I think I I can't remember. I feel like it was a month ago or maybe it was just a few weeks, but you posted your video on uh, Imperfect Twitter. And I love that perspective. That's kind of what you're saying. Just stop stop taking everything so seriously. And sometimes you post something and you're like, Oh, no one really connected with that. Who cares? Or maybe I posted something and it's just like, you know, silly thoughts I'm having. And it, I, I think I've really just in the last year really changed my perspective on Twitter as well, because I, I just stopped following all the negativity that I used to follow. Um, obviously there was a lot of politics in the last few years in the U S and I, got pulled into that following the accounts that just sort of fueled that. And there's, there's a line between being, you know, ignorant and informed, but there's, it just got to like, there's a reason that people were referring to doom scrolling because like my timeline was just full of so many people that were sharing doom. And then it was like that, that was all that Twitter was, was just like, all right, what's the, what, what is the outrage of the day? Um, (laughs) And I finally, at the beginning of this year, I just sort of, I thought about, well, I took, I took a, um, just like a, a, a personal retreat where I spent like three days. I rented a little Airbnb to spend some time away from the family. And I just wanted to, I wanted this year, 2021 to be different. I wanted to really kind of take a different approach to what I was doing in life. Cause just so much time was passing and I was like, what, what am I doing and I kind of came up with the, there's the Cortex podcast and they talk about their yearly themes on there. And so I kind of wanted to have my own yearly theme or at least 
you know, quarterly theme or something to kind of approach this new year with. And what I came up with was uh, purpose and positivity. And that has totally changed my year. It's been just a wild black and white difference. Just being, just focusing primarily, I think on the positivity. I just started, I unfollowed around a thousand accounts on Twitter mm-hmm. and I just started when, whenever something happens on Twitter, I see a tweet and it sparks some negative reaction in me or negative emotion. I unfollow and then I consider if I want to refollow it. So it's just even someone, I, somebody I know, like, and it gives me that negative emotion. I'm just going to unfollow as, as my default. And then I can decide like, actually, no, even though this was sort of negative, I really like this person. I still want to follow their stuff. Then I'll refollow. But by having that, my first reaction is just to unfollow. A lot of times I realize like, I'm not actually, you know, I'm not obligated to follow this person. Yeah. And if they're not bringing positivity to my world, then maybe it's better off if I just don't follow what they're doing right here. Well, that's the dangerous game with Twitter, isn't it? Because when you choose to follow somebody, they're literally brainwashing you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and if you're not careful with that, you, you realize, you know, three or four months down the line that you're repeating what they're saying and it isn't necessarily a positive thing as well. For unfollow a thousand accounts, they must have... That must have been you were in some serious hole with that man. <laughs> yeah, it was it, it was pretty bad. I uh, and part of it was following because of the positivity thing, and the other part was just I was I was just following like three thousand accounts or something like that, and it was mm. I just realized I was missing like in addition to the doom scrolling, I was missing the people I did care about. And I still have that problem because I'm still following. I think I'm back up to close to 2000 right now, which is too, which is too many, but it helps me. It helps me see what I want to see instead of just following things that I feel like I'm supposed to, or that I should follow or whatever. So, so changing it to kind of a positivity first thing, what else has changed in this last year? Yeah. So a big part of it, in addition to kind of taking other people's negativity out of my life wherever I can, um, it's just been thinking about what I'm putting out as well, because Mm. I like, how would I say this? Like I can be a negative person. I think like in general, I'm pretty optimistic, but I can speak negatively because I don't really filter my thoughts a lot of the time. So I can I can be sort of, I don't know, judgmental is not quite the right word, but just like complain about things. Like I have no problem complaining about stuff. And I realized like that's not really helping anybody. And so I should stop and think about what I'm putting out as well. Because if it, if I feel like these other people were putting negativity into my life, I don't want to be that same thing for someone else. So I've just been this year thought a lot more about before I put something out or before I tweet it or whatever, I just try to think like, is this actually bringing positivity to the world? Uh, there's a, a, a video game podcast I listen to called DLC and one of the hosts on there, Jeff Kanata, he ends every episode by saying, think about what you put out into the world, make it a better place. And I've really tried to t- take that to heart this year of like, I want to make sure that I'm, encouraging and lifting people up and bringing positivity. Cause there's just so it's so easy to be negative and hate on the latest thing that comes out. And part of the problem is that social media rewards that. Yeah. Like you see, I've read like, 
you know, earlier this year, I got excited about Twitter because things were happening. And I read some Twitter growth guides. I'm like, oh, this is, this is terrible. This is all like how to be a terrible person and get 10,000 <laughs> followers. <laughs> yeah. And that's not what I want to do. So I quickly tossed those aside. But that's part of the problem is that you're rewarded by that, that negative behavior. And kind of what uh, yeah, Bevan's saying, like there's a problem with the social media where negativity gets rewarded and those controversial voices get amplified, which is definitely a problem. And I don't know, I don't know, let, let's solve it right here, right now. We'll figure it out. But it, it's a real <laughs> problem that we're just kind of having to navigate with knowing that all the great benefits that are with social media as well. Like we never would have met. And there's so many other people I wouldn't have met that I really value their friendships that I've met just over the past, you know, few months by being open and connecting on Twitter and, you know, sliding into each other's DMs and just sort of being open to, Hey, let's hop on zoom and chat for half an hour. And I never would have found these great friendships that I expect to last for quite a while if it wasn't for social media. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a tough one, isn't it? Because there's, I'm trying to think of an analogy to liken Twitter to something or even why why the social media is it's like I don't know it's it's like a bomb that's fluffy and soft <laughs> and it looks fun to play with and it is for a while and you can get joy from it and you can get benefits from it but at some point you play with it a little bit too much and it explodes in your face um mm-hmm that for me is is what twitter's like if you're not careful with it because it, it is and, and this is not just exclusive to twitter this is you know all of them but twitter especially i think it's really easy to like i did last year you you read some of these growth guides and you start to do some of the things and you might be writing five tweets a day or 10 tweets a day and replying to people's tweets and all that kind of thing and you you see growth and, and you, you see it, you know, you see you're adding 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 followers. And then you kind of look back on what's happened. And, and I kind of did this a couple of months ago. You look back on what you've been doing for the last year and you think, what was the point? What, <laughs> why? What, 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 what was the purpose of it? And obviously there's been some great things that I've got out of Twitter. Absolutely. I've met people all around the world Nearly every person who I have on the podcast initially comes from Twitter. I've spoken to people all over the world on Zoom. It's been amazing. Those sides of it are positive, absolutely. But I often feel like you can't separate those two, can you? You can't separate the need to be present in the algorithm by, let's face it, mostly tweeting nonsense to get in front of your superficial friends or future new superficial friends to be able to make more of those good connections so there's kind of this there's this there's this nasty bit in the in the middle that you've got to play the game ultimately to get to get in front of the people to get those deeper connections and i think what i've also found as well over these last couple of months is that for a while i've hit the limit of that for now i haven't really got time to be making more friends with people and i don't think as human beings we really have the capacity for that either. I don't think we have the capacity right. to to make friends with so many people. Uh, I absolutely love, 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 love the phrase, make friends, not followers. And I 100% agree with it. 
But there is a limit to that. And when you get to a certain point, for me, the, the point has certainly been 5,000 followers on Twitter. When you get to a point on Twitter, suddenly you find that you might be trying to make friends with people, but other people aren't looking at you the same way. They mm. they look mm. at you as a, I don't know, an authority figure to some extent, uh, a guru, dare I say it, to, to another extent. And they look at the number next to your name, 5,000 or 10,000 or 20,000 or even 2,000, and they look at the number and they think, oh, well, he knows what he's talking about. Um, <laughs> I... I, I I try to make it clear constantly that I do not know what I'm talking about, but you still get the people who give you automatic reverence purely because you've got thousands of followers on Twitter, and I I hate it. I hate it. Uh, so yeah, the, it is is good and bad, and I I don't know if there's an easy way to play both of those games. Yeah, it's it's been really wild for me like thanks to doing like the ship 30 for 30 thing and i i've done i think i'm entering my fourth one now i just sort of jumped in and the first one went really well and so i just kind of stuck with it but through that i've gained a lot of followers i think i had like a little over a thousand at the beginning of the year and half of those were probably like friends that quit eight years ago and just happened to you know still be following me with their old account and now i'm up to i think i'm like 2600 and I've, yeah, just even at that, that, you know, level of followers, I've kind of noticed what you're talking about where people think you're something more than you are, which is really, yeah, it's really weird to navigate that. Cause yeah, yeah like I'm not a guru. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm just trying to, I'm just faking it till I make it just like, you know, someone follows me that's got 200 followers and I look at their stuff. I'm like, you're doing everything I'm doing just, just as well, if not better, there's nothing special that I'm doing. And then through that, you know, that's when like imposter syndrome likes to rear its head. Cause it's like, what are, who are you? Why, why would people look at you as, you know, some sort of authority and yeah. And it makes you, it makes you think a lot differently about how, about what you're putting out because now I feel like there's this expectation. I've, I've started using I've started tweeting like late night as like my window of like, this is where I can just like shoot out whatever, whatever I want to talk about and not feel like it's going to hit most people that follow me. But even that's not true anymore because once you like, I've hit a, a number now that I have followers that are more international, uh, you know, as before everyone was that followed me was mostly, you know, us. And so if I tweeted at 11, 12 o'clock at night, most people are never going to see that. But now there's people you know, I know people in Australia and India and UK and like all, all over the map. And so I do my little late night rants thinking that, Oh, this is just me sort of talking to myself uh, on Twitter for whatever reason. I, I was just thinking the other day, it's kind of like there's build in public and learn in public. And for me, it's just sort of like uh, embarrassed in public. Like I'm just sort of embarrassing myself in public by talking freely to about my own insecurities and letting people watch for some reason. And yeah, I just did something like that last night and there's like, like 15 likes on the tweet, which isn't a big deal, but I'm like 15 people read this. I'm just like kind of ranting and thinking myself about this. And then in the morning waking up and more people had replied and it, it just totally changes how 
Twitter works from how, you know, I've been on Twitter since nearly the beginning. So like 14 years now and hitting some follower count, like suddenly that, that guru switch happens and you have to sort of think about it differently without letting it change who you are, which is, which is hard. It's hard to take, it's, it's hard to navigate that good with the bad of how to do that well and not come across like, I don't know, like you're like, you are a guru, like you, you want to talk and I, I don't know. It, it's, it's just such a weird thing to navigate. Cause I'm just like some random guy that finally started sharing content. Yeah. yeah I, I just never really shared anything before. And this year I joined the ship 30 for 30 challenge and that sort of sparked, Hey, I've, I've got things worth sharing that people are interested and care about. And now I'm just sort of like rapidly trying to figure out what is it like when people care what I think. <laughs> well, I, and I, yeah, I think part, I think part of the problem really is the medium of Twitter and the way that Twitter is set up. It's both a positive and a negative. Again, the fact that they, there's only 380 characters means you can't go into depth on a topic. There's no nuance. There's even if you write a thread, nobody's reading all the tweets in the thread. So there is an opportunity for nuance and to get noticed by even your friends on Twitter, you have to be pithy and you have to write in a very particular way. You have to be forceful with the way that you write things. And there's no room to say this thing is X in this instance, but in this instance, Y applies because there's just no room. There isn't enough characters or it doesn't get noticed. Right. So people, mm -hmm. people tend not to write like that on Twitter. So the way that, Twitter works for most people and, and I think most people generally understand this when they're on Twitter is that really the the first tweet that somebody is saying is is purely a conversation starter and that's the way I've looked at it for a long time and that's the way that I tend to tweet and that the more radical that first tweet can be the more uh, the more engagement it's going to get and the more people are going to uh, reply to it and things like that but but then you're kind of balancing sharing what you want to share versus beating the algorithm and there's that kind of all this thing going on i the the biggest thing i came up with pretty recently over the last couple of months is destroy your audience i'm obsessed with trying to destroy my audience now because i don't like the idea of even thinking about it like an audience mm -hmm. i don't like the idea uh, of being audience driven even though the book by arvid is very very good and it makes a lot of good points <laughs> it uh, is great yeah yeah um i don't like thinking like that because when i think like that it means that i, I tweeted something about it the other day if, if you're audience driven somebody asks you to write about a particular thing and then you write seven tips about that particular thing it, it isn't interesting to me and if it's not interesting to me it won't be interesting to anybody else so i've got this idea now that everything i do write say or create is attempting to destroy my audience by removing people so the people who won't be interested in, in the content which that mean and the way that manifests itself for me is often writing long-form content or having a long-form podcast like this, things that are generally quite impenetrable for most people. Mm -hmm. So if somebody follows me for my tweets, when they go off to consume anything else that I do, it's impenetrable unless you actually want to read it. Uh, 
as kind of a, a barrier almost to to say to somebody, no, this is what I'm really like. I want to give you, you know, more nuance to the things that I'm going to say. And if you want to read that, then you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to consume the long form thing. Um, right. So yeah, I've kind of just keep saying destroy your audience to to myself in, in my head, and that's my way of of trying to stay authentic whilst people still continue to follow me i'm still trying to find the way to say things where people stop following me uh Mm -hmm. i haven't found that yet (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's really interesting i i found myself like again really new to this people kind of looking at me differently on twitter i've found there's People that follow me now know me that I that I have ADHD. I talk about that a lot and kind of just creator economy related topics. But I do feel, I feel like there's topics that are important to me that I don't talk about at all. And I kind of, and there's like this hesitation, like, am I allowed to talk about this? For example, um, you know, I'm a big video gamer. I love playing video games. Yeah. But does that... I, I feel like there's this weird barrier of like, do I talk about that? Can I, am I allowed to yeah. talk about video games on this account that is now all about ADHD and, you know, creator economy writing, like that sort of world. Does yes. it make or, you know, productivity does, does gaming fit into there? And I don't know if I have, have anything interesting to say on gaming. It's not like I want to be, become a video game journalist or anything, but it's something I love and am passionate about. And it feels yeah, there's this weird, I don't know, kind of like you said, destroying the audience. I'm afraid of destroying the audience because so much has gone right over the past few months. I'm afraid of doing the thing that's going to blow it all up and then feel like I've squandered some opportunity or something. Mm. Yeah, but like you said, it's your your approach of wanting to destroy your audience is like if it's... It, I think it attracts people because it shows the authenticity and then it, the people that truly do want to connect with you will the people that resonate with, you know, who you are as a person and a creator or a guru or whatever are drawn to the real you. And it, you know, you can kind of drop that pretense and just be, just be real, which I think I'm not there yet. I would love to be there. And I feel like there's still that hesitation. I mean, I've, I've had thoughts. We talked uh, before we started recording about sports. I'm a big Seahawks fan and I've been, it's been a blessing that this growth for me on Twitter and stuff has not been during the football season. Cause in the past I just tweet all sorts of terrible takes on the latest football things. And I've been thinking about like, what am I going to do when it comes for, like, do I just create another account where I can just like have Jesse rants about the referees and whatever, or yeah. And I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do when that comes around, but I feel like I can't do what I did in the past. Like there's this weird new rules that it's self-imposed, but like there's new rules for what I can and cannot share mm-hmm. kind of the, you know, Jack Butcher thing of like, creating value like is this creating value which is both great for wanting to grow and useful for you know your audience but ultimately kind of becomes uh inauthentic if everything you say is just about creating value for people because that's not how a conversation works like i'm not in this conversation just like 
thinking, how can I create value here? Um, I'm just trying to be real and have a conversation about what is, you know, what's going on in my life and what's important to me and share that with you. And yeah, I think the focus on creating value sometimes while effective can really uh, dampen the authenticity that is important to just being you and enjoying what you're doing. I think enjoying it's not the most important thing. Number one, you you got to enjoy it. Otherwise you won't stick at it. And that's the thing that I found out. And, and, and then two on the Jack Butcher f- front, what's interesting is that he's got, as he's got more popular, he's started to do things that aren't providing value. Uh, that is true. Uh-huh. Uh, objectively providing value be, because he's, absolutely got bored of it i've got no doubt of that he's, he's got bored of of being yeah. like that and only sharing a bit of his personality you see you see the trend over and over on anybody who they build a big audience they're very specific with what they share and then when they they get big enough they stop being specific with what they share and start to introduce everything else and i, mm-hmm. I think there's i spoke about this before particularly on this podcast i think there's two ways to do this when you're thinking about growing an audience or building an audience or destroying your audience or whatever you want to call it, I think there's two ways to do it. There's either be very focused and talk about one or two topics, which is hugely effective for growing an audience. Yeah. But but those people that follow you don't give a shit about you because they don't know you. They know the value that you provide and not you. And then the other way around is to share it everything or a lot of things and then they get to know you and they'll get to like you as a person and i think that's the truest way of building a thousand true fans kind of mentality that it it takes a lot longer it's a lot lot slower it can be quite frustrating because of that slow growth but you know when you've got a thousand or two thousand or three thousand followers that they're genuine people who care about you and they probably would buy most things if that's if that's the goal. They'd probably buy most things or consume most things that you create because you are being you. You are being real, as you said. And I chose the second path a while ago because it, I couldn't I couldn't get on with the bullshit of the first way. <laughs> I, I I tried it. Mm-hmm. I tried it for a while probably for about four or five months. And it, it just got to the point where I wasn't enjoying it. And that's that's it for me. If I'm not enjoying it, over a long period of time, if I'm not enjoying it, what is the point in doing it? Because it isn't making me any money, essentially. Um, it's led to a lot of good opportunities and it has made me money now. Mm-hmm. But the money's not worth it if you're not enjoying anything they're doing, especially if you're not enjoying any of the tweets that you're writing. I mean, what the bloody hell is the point if you're not enjoying any of the time you're on there? So I, I specifically said, right, optimize for fun. That was the thing I was saying. I was tweeting it every day, optimize for fun. And mm-hmm. from much like what you were saying, you know, the positivity thing. And then from there, as soon as I did that, everybody started caring more and people were interacting more and, I enjoyed it and everybody else enjoyed it more. Whenever I slip back into the other way of trying to provide value, it never really works out. I don't enjoy it and nobody else enjoys it. It's, it's again, this, the same thing with the long-form podcast versus the short-form podcast. There, there isn't a right and wrong way to this, I think. I think it needs to be aligned to your personality and 
the goals that you've got ultimately for this kind of thing. For me, I think very long term with this kind of thing, I don't want to quit on Twitter anytime soon. And the same with the podcast. I know that I'm at episode 221 now today. I'm going to be sat here at episode 600, 700, 800, 900. So I'm going to play the game the way I want to play it, knowing that people will come along to see the way I play it, if you know what I mean, rather than playing yeah, it. Yeah rather than playing it the way that I know will grow quicker because I'm, I'm in it for the long term. It doesn't matter. I'm not bothered about the, the, the short-term growth. I don't think enough people think about that. Yeah, I, it's funny. I, I feel like I've tried to do some of the, kind of like what you said, I've, tr- I've tried to do some of those tricks of growth or whatever where like, like doing the threads, which is like a really common thing people are doing these days of doing, yeah, you know, seven things I learned from this podcast or whatever. Yeah. And like, let me create a, and you know, an eight tweet thread where each tweet alone is like a chunk of value. And I've tried those and they've never worked for me. So it's almost like the universe telling me like, this isn't even for, you're not enjoying the process of doing this. And it's not even being effective. So I, I love that idea of optimizing for fun because so much of what I'm doing is fun. And that kind of keeps me coming back to it. Like that's why I'm doing, you know, I'm, I've done ship 30 for 30, like four months in a row now. And it's because it's, it's fun. I'm meeting all sorts of new people. And I've even like, I'm no longer sticking to the 30 essay commitment in the last session. I think I did like 12 essays total or something like that, but I was having fun. I did like a whole series. I did like five in a row on doing a Figma template for writing. It was fun. I was like, Hey, I'm like teaching some really, like it's really basic, but really simple design for people that have no idea how to use Figma, how to get started with this thing. And it was, it was like a fun little project I was able to do Mm. rather than forcing rather than forcing myself to do something just because I should or being consistent in that way is going to lead to more followers or something like that. I think the optimizing for fun, well, there's, there's, there's a balance like optimizing for fun and embracing challenges that will spark that because I know you, you've done a lot of challenges like doing your poster thing you did before and stuff like that. And I think part of that, it may not be fun every day, but you know, it's going to lead to fun. It's kind of continuing that challenge is going to bring up fun going forward. So there's kind of, I think like a balance there of figuring out. Yeah. Not, you know, so that everything isn't just cotton candy. Like there's, there's work with the knowledge that this is aimed towards fun. And I don't, it doesn't feel like a slog or that I'm doing it because someone else thinks I should do it, but because I think I should do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I mean, a a lot of things I do in my life, I don't necessarily enjoy it in the day, but I know that it leads to something else, you know, on in the future, or will lead to something else. Lifting weights. I don't enjoy it half the time, but I still do it. And uh, going for a walk, I sometimes don't enjoy it, but I still do it. You're absolutely right. There is, there's a difference between, in the moment fun and long-term fun or seeing the the long-term value of the fun there is a balance mm-hmm. in that I, I think consistency reigns supreme in any of this particularly content you're making any kind of content and again thomas j bevan will kill me for calling it content but 
in any of these pursuits, consistency reigns supreme. You need to be consistent in one of them. And that's the thing that's always in the back of my mind. I went away to York over the weekend. It's the first time I've took four days off making images in over a year. And there is a need for that consistency because people expect, they expect that thing to be there when you said it was going to be there. Uh, you kind of making that contract with, with your audience, that expectation. Uh, also with yourself as well. I don't think, mm-hmm. I don't think you can fully develop an idea until you've done it for a really long time. Just with the podcast right now, uh, this is episode 221. It wasn't until episode, I think it was 180, that I actually had my first guest on the podcast. So hmm. so I had one of those podcasts that you said you didn't enjoy listening to where they were all about value. Um, so I would have never have got to this really rewarding experience of chatting to people like you if I would have quit even a, a day earlier than that 180. And the only reason right. I started interviewing people was because I was kind of bored of the format, but wanting mm-hmm. to still be consistent with the podcast. So I knew that I needed to do something different. And I tried just speaking to a few people, seeing how that felt, see if I enjoyed that. Turns out I did. And here we are. It's, it's, it's I think, a much better podcast than what it was because I talked to people. So yeah, I, I do. Th- there, there is those two things, and I, I guess that must be especially difficult for you with ADHD, not trying to follow the dopamine monster all the time, right? Yeah, for sure. Because uh, yeah, the dopamine monster is uh, ever present. Um, <laughs> yeah. How do you do it? Because you you must get much more easily distracted than me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, there is a lot of distractions. I I think. I mean, for me, again, the, the ship 30 challenge, it, I was as surprised as anyone that I did it for 30 days in a row because it, because it's so easy to be distracted. And I think that's why I've stuck with it since like stuck with that community since then, because I found some, there's some, I, there, I think there's some sort of magic of the cohort based course, which is you know obviously exploding right now where it attracts for, for people that have ADHD, it attracts us because it kind of hits our four points of motivation, which I've talked about this a bunch, but I'll just list them real quick. There's interest. Um, oh, now I can't remember interest challenge, novelty and urgency. And these are kind of like the four different factors that motivate people that have ADHD to getting things done. Yeah. And this like a cohort based course that's based around a challenge like ship 30 really kind of engages all those because there's the urgency of like every day I have to get something shipped. There's the novelty of like, I'm getting to write about whatever I want. And that's kind of where the interest comes to. Like I'm getting to create something new every day about something that I'm interested in. And then there's that challenge of it has to be done. It, Mm -hmm. you know, I I have to ship It, it. It's no longer just like a goal to ship every day, but for those 30 days, I made it an obligation. So and like we were talking about before, it's knowing that the fun would come because when it's like 1230 at night and I haven't finished my essay yet, it's not necessarily fun in that moment, but I knew that it would be worth it. And it has been through the community that's kind of grown through that. 
Yeah, I I think there's a bit of for people that have ADHD, we talk sometimes about like chasing the dopamine or just kind of following the dopamine and grabbing on wherever it leads because there's so much there's so much that you can get done when you find that kind of hyper focus and knowing that in between those times it's a slog to get anything done. I just saw there was a meme the other day that I can't remember exactly what the one on the left said, but it was something about like just all the, I can get this done and I've finished this and I, you know, released that. And it's like all these amazing things that you get done. And then on the other side is like, I can't wash dish today. (laughs) And that's what it's like with, with ADHD. When you, when you can't find that drive, that motivation for something you can't do, you're just sitting on the couch telling yourself I should get off the couch and go wash a dish or do something and you just can't. And so a lot of it is kind of trying to grab the dopamine when it's there and use it for, for good, for uh, trying to find, yeah, trying to create something that's going to be worthwhile and will lead to that fun eventually. Well, that, that's why I like daily challenges so much. And that's why I like them in the first place, because you get both the daily dopamine hit of making something good or creating something ultimately everybody loves creating something it feels nice but then mm-hmm. you're you're also ticking off this huge streak and if you do it for 365 days which is my typical one you, you can see this streak just developing and it's just amazing to see so even on even on day 270 you know right i'm gonna get to create something today which is cool but it's also towards the 365 streak and you can look forward and back at the same time and if you get both sides of it uh and i would have thought those kind of things would probably be quite difficult for adhd people to follow but it sounds like maybe maybe that's the secret right yeah i mean i thought the same thing when i signed up for the challenge i was like i don't know if i'm going to be able to do to do this but basically I would see tweets like from Dickie Bush or people like that that would say, these are the, you know, 10 skills you need to thrive in the creator economy or whatever. And I would look at those and say, Hey, I I have all those. Why am I not doing anything? <laughs> and, and I think actually I heard a podcast a while back. I, I can't remember if you've talked with him, but with uh, Nate Kedlak, I don't know how to pronounce this. I, I think yeah. it's Kedlak, but he was talking about how so often people that are, you know, somewhat of an expert in some field. Like, so for me, I've been a designer for like 20 years and same as, same as he, I don't know how long he's been doing it, but for a long time. And he would get so focused on looking at the other experts around him. And I think that is something I'm, I just realized halfway through this, I'm totally jumping tangentially off of what you said, but that's okay. I I find that it's so easy to get focused on the people at your level with something that you're afraid to say anything. And so for me, I, I have expertise in design because I've been doing it for so long, but I, but I fear the other people that are kind of at my level judging something that I would say. And I think part of what helped with the ship 30 challenge is by just doing it, like who cares what people are going to say, I'm just going to engage and I'm going to do it and I'm going to produce something. And because I was forced to produce something every day, it sort of released, it released that fear because it's like, well, I have to put out something. And so even if it's not good, I'll just put out 
this sort of thing that I don't even know if this is helpful, but it's, but it's something. And then having people resonate with that. Um, I mean, it, maybe that's the trick is the fact that you're, that you're releasing on Twitter and there's an encouraging community around it. And so I release, you know, some new essay about some topic and then I get some likes or comments. I'm like, Ooh, well, that was fun. I liked getting those. <laughs> yeah. I, and then I think about that the, the next night and I'm like, yeah, I gotta, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to miss out on that little dopamine hit in the morning when people enjoy that thing I created and I like creating it's yeah, there's just sort of like this perfect storm I think that can happen uh, particularly when you have ADHD of you're hitting it, it releases you from the freedom because you've done the challenge. You're like, well, I have to do something. And so I, whatever it is, I have to put out something. And even if it's, if it's garbage, like who cares then I've, I've, I've done it. And it sort of releases you from that fear of what your contemporaries or whatever are going to say, because the reality is they're not going to say anything. They're doing their own thing. They don't care about what you have to say. And that's not who you're trying to talk to. You're trying to talk to those people that are, you know, maybe two steps behind where you are. And that's the kind of person that you can help. And then you can learn from them because they're two steps ahead of you in some other field. Mm. And yeah, so I think there's definitely, there's some sort of magic to that cohort based challenge kind of a course. And through that, I've found a lot of the people that I met have ADHD and maybe didn't even know that they, ha that they had it, which is super common. Like, there's, it, you know, there's, it's impossible to know, but people estimate that like 80 to 90% of adults have ADHD aren't diagnosed. And so I've kind of found through different cohort courses that I've been, I run into a lot of people there that are kind of attracted to that, that have ADHD and may not know about it. So they'll see something I write about it and suddenly I'm having lots of DM conversations and, you know, sort of like, like I'm not diagnosing them, but I'm sharing and they're just like, yep, checks the box, checks the box, checks the box. Like the, all those symptoms are lining up and yeah. So there is something to that, that attracts that ADHD brain. Mm. I, I think yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting on the being afraid of sharing things point. Cause I, I've been a designer for 15 years, a little bit behind you, but not so far off. <laughs> and it, it, I wrote a piece about this last year about be, um, being a designer for 14 years and only just working out how to promote myself in the 15th year. And right, got, yeah. Going through a similar th thing that, that you've been through, the whole reason it took me 14 years to pretty much develop my first public portfolio was because I was afraid of what people were going to say because I thought I was a, a, shit, a shitty designer or whatever. Or right. I didn't stack up to everybody else, and it, it took. And I'd been, I'd been going to, I'd been going to conferences all this time as well, probably like you. And you'd been admiring designers at a dis distance and other creatives and, and and everything. And you'd been admiring them and and thinking, God, why are they so much better than me? And 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 my work doesn't stack up to them. And it it took me fourteen years to actually realize. No, the reason they're in their position that they're in now is because they shared things publicly and regularly. And that is literally the only thing that separates me from them. It's just that they've now got essentially a 14-year jump on me because, <laughs> right. because I've not been doing it for 14 years. And then I had this kind of thought, I was thinking about this, and I thought, it can't be that simple. 
It can't be. So I started to think back to everybody else from really long time ago, from going to my first design conference. Okay, so why were those people on the stage when I went to a design conference? Because they were uh, design celebrities in, in some way. So what made them a design celebrity? Well, one of them had a really popular blog that he wrote in nearly every day. Um, mm-hmm. One of the other ones shared his design work every day when Twitter first started. Uh, the other one shared his design work regularly on Beyonce. The other one had another popular blog. And the, the repeating pattern over and over and over was always that they shared publicly, regularly. And as soon as you realize that, you, you, that that's it it becomes so much simpler and so much easier. Then the only challenge left that you've got is to get over the fear of what other people are going to think. Right. And I found that quite easy because I've been doing those challenges for so long. It's just that I'd not stuck at any of them for long enough because I'd stuck at them for 365 days and thought that was a really long time. But the truth was I needed to just stick at them for another couple of years beyond that when I started looking at what everybody else had done they'd maybe been doing it five or ten years some kind of similar maybe not daily but regular publishing challenge that they've been doing for a really long time and then as soon as you see it you think all right well that's easy I'm going to publish every day for five or ten years and then the results are automatic it's just going to come to me because but you just you just can't see the wood for the trees sometimes with that kind of thing, can you? Because you're just so in your own head about this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's the, I mean, there's the, one of the really popular, you know, Jack Butcher graphics. I forget the actual phrase, but it's the like, you know, the consistency where it's just like a line and it doesn't go up for most of the chart. And then all of a sudden at some point just like shoots up. I was just listening uh, the other day to a podcast with, uh, oh, it was Jay Klaus and uh, Ali Abdal. And Ali was talking about that same sort of thing where he was just sort of producing videos and just putting them out consistently. And then all of a sudden he had one, I think it was on like iPad notes, iPad note taking, and that one took off. And then like people came to see that, that video. And then he had this catalog. So then it was like someone would see one video and then they would watch 10 more because now there is this, this consistent, the consistency that he stuck to created a whole world of his content that people could, could then, you know, then check out. And then suddenly now is, you know, is the overnight success 10 years in the making idea of just putting it out consistently and sticking to it really is kind of that difference maker. Uh, reminds me, you were talking about going to the conferences. I, so I'm, I'm a designer and I'm also a front end developer. So I've gone to a lot of uh, development conferences and there was one I went to about, it was about five years ago. And I remember sitting in a talk and it was a terrible talk. And I remember afterwards talking to my buddy and just saying, if this person had taken 20 extra minutes to just prepare, this talk would have been so if, if you had given me 20 minutes right now, I could have done a better talk than that guy. Mm. And my buddy was like, okay, then do it. And so I, I did, I was like, okay, I started proposing talks at several different conferences. And for, there was like a year and a half that I spoke at like five different places and they were like development stuff. And I was barely a developer because I was mostly a designer that happened to, you know, I could do like some, some basic JavaScript, but I just sort of dove into it and then, and prepared. And that really was 
was kind of the difference of just putting myself out there. And then I still, I haven't done that in a while. I did like, a, it was about four years ago where I did kind of a year and a half of touring several different places, giving uh, different developer talks, but I still hear feedback from people. And there's that sort of odd reverence Mm. where kind of what you're saying of someone looks at me and I, because I was on stage, it feels like I really know what I'm talking about. And so people will send me questions and I kind of have to say like, I don't know anything more than what I said on stage. I researched <laughs> just enough to be able to talk about that. And that's almost like the limit of my knowledge in that, that field. But it's just sort of like being willing to put yourself out there and putting in the time to be prepared for what you're talking about and what you're trying to trying to share. And yeah, just, just, just doing it is what kind of makes a difference. You know, that's your, your podcast, get doing things, just get, just get to it and keep doing it. And like, eventually it, it pays off and think of it as developing. I, I really think that helps me, especially with like the ship 30 thing was thinking about the fact that I'm developing my own world so that when someone like finds something interesting about me, there's a whole bunch more for them to explore to. Yeah. So that it's like a whole, a whole con, you know, people say content library, which has, you know, has, it's kind of weird connotations, but that's sort of the idea of like, you want to be, if you want to be seen as like someone that knows what they're doing and some sort of expert or something so that people will take you seriously is just, it's just doing the stuff so that you have that consistency and that content for people to look at and be able to, yeah, be able to hopefully learn from things and see your perspective and uh, stuff like that. Create your own TV channel. That's the phrase yes. I like. Yeah. Yeah. I've spoken about it multiple times on the podcast, an old, an old Gary V nugget where he talks about creating a TV channel, create your own TV channel, bring people to you. So it, that doesn't literally just mean video. It means anything. But that's exactly the way that I use Twitter. And that's why I think you should be talking about video games as well. Um, <laughs> be, because when you when you treat Twitter like that, that Twitter is like a springboard. Twitter is your TV channel. It's got multiple TV channels inside that TV channel. Essentially a whole network of TV channels if you want to really stretch the animal, analogy. But right. you use Twitter as a place to just say, Here's this one thing I did. Here's my podcast about video games, or here, here's my video series about uh, web design, and here's my other video series about UX, or or whatever. But you, you have you have the Twitter that's just streaming all the different kinds of crazy stuff that you're doing, and it means that you don't have to be specific and get bored. You can just make things that you enjoy, and then point it all back to this huge network of of things that you've got going on that's the way that I treat it with you know this podcast and then I have a specific design podcast and and then I have a, a creator economy podcast that I'm doing with Arvid and, and Jamie off Twitter and then I, I I have the Twitter itself where I write tweets and then the the email newsletter and then they all kind of they make no sense whatsoever <laughs> separately there, there's no thread through them all but right. I, I think that's why it works because when somebody follows me on Twitter or somebody comes to my Twitter, they don't have to follow 
everything they can just follow one thing and get that one thing they can follow only one tv channel only tune in for the podcast only tune in for the the newsletter or, or whatever i think it's a it's an easier way and 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 also more importantly than anything is it it it's lots of little bets when one of yeah. them, one of them disappears inevitably disappears twitter gets bought out or shut down or what whatever <laughs> i've i've got lots of little bets elsewhere and it means that you're not relying on any one of them. You never know. But that's actually one really po- important point. You never know. You never know what's gonna, what's really gonna kind of take off. So, I'd I'd love to see you talking about video games because what I accidentally discovered doing this, talking to people like you, I accidentally discovered that I'm actually quite good at it, and I would have never discovered that if I wouldn't have tried it. And then when I was doing the videos on Twitter, which I really need to get back to doing, mm-hmm. I accidentally discovered I was pretty good at that. But if I would have been very specific and targeted with my Twitter, I would have never have dared put them out because I would have I would have felt a bit fearful. So you, you never okay. know. You might actually be really good at talking about video games in a really interesting <laughs> and engaging way that nobody has ever seen. But then on the other hand, that doesn't even really matter because if you're enjoying it, that's all that matters the most. But you might end up in five years' time having the most successful video game podcast slash YouTube series slash newsletter or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you never know it until you try it, do you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, I love that mentality of the making multiple bets, which I, I think some people look at... I mean, I wrote down the other day, I did like a mind map of kind of all the different things I'm doing. And it's pretty wild, like, especially because I was doing nothing like four or five months ago. I was just sort of doing, you know, working my day job and, mm. you know, doing video games in the evening or whatever. And now I've, yeah, I'm like on, on Twitter writing these like daily essays a lot. I've got a newsletter I'm running. I'm, I, I blew up on TikTok randomly, which is weird as a 41 year old guy being huge on TikTok. I mean, not huge, but we've got like 48,000 followers, which is pretty, pretty wild on TikTok. And there's just sort of like all these, and then I have all these little projects. Um, oh, I have a YouTube channel where I was talk, talking about like Rome research. So I have like all these wild things that I'm working on. And yeah, I feel like a lot of them are little bets of yeah. trying to, and yeah, like if Twitter goes down, well, I have, I have the newsletter and I have TikTok is it's, it still sounds goofy to say TikTok because it's such a, <laughs> like a Gen Z type of platform, but yeah, I don't want to be tied to one thing. Again, I feel like I keep referencing Jack Butcher, but I remember when all this stuff got shut down like two weeks ago for a day or two. And I remember thinking like, is that, what does he do if they don't let him back? Like that seems like his, I'm sure he's doing other stuff too, but as far as my perspective in his world, like that's the thing he does is being big on Twitter. And if that's all he had, that would be a really big problem because what if they just, what if it wasn't a mistake that they could just undo and he just lost all that, that would be like devastating to not have some other platform to kind of rely on. And he's obviously big enough that he could have done something else. But if that happened to me, like you know, four months ago, if Twitter shut down my account and I had nothing else. It's like, well, I guess, I guess I'm done. There's nothing else to, or again, your, your friend Bevan, like if he didn't have a newsletter or something like that, like he didn't have something to connect to, like that's the it, that's, that's the end of it. 
if some platform just sort of decides to shut you down. So I'm kind of all about that idea of making multiple bets. I had, I had somebody just recently call me out on the DMS and telling me that, Hey, I I'm signed up for like, like four of your random waiting lists for projects (laughs) because (laughs) I kind of have this habit of almost putting it out there to see if something will stick and to see if that's a bet worth making. So I, you know, I'm addicted to buying domain names. So I have a, a bunch and I'll just sort of announce like, Hey, if you're interested in this kind of sign up and then use that almost as a barometer for like where my time is worth, like which one of these bets looks like it's going to be going to pay off quickly that people are really interested in. And then that's kind of becomes worth my time. Yeah. Cause I, I wish I just had, you know, 10, 10 times as, as much time. Cause there's so much I want to do and you just have to decide which bets are the ones you want to make. Yeah. I, I'm exactly the same. I, I went from zero to a hundred overnight and doing loads of stuff. Some of it's fallen by the wayside now as I've kind of tweaked what things I'm interested in, but it's surprising how much of it hasn't as well. Uh, <laughs> and I used to think about that when I first started, well, what am I saying to people here? What What is me doing all this saying to people in a wider context? And then mm-hmm. I kind of rationalized it thinking, well, one, not everybody's looking at everything that you're doing. Nobody's got this time. Nobody's sitting there reading everything that you're making or watching everything you're making or even listening to it all, so it doesn't matter. But two, it doesn't have to make sense. Who who cares? It, it, it doesn't need to be in a neat box. And, and that was me coming from a marketing background, much like you, and thinking, after doing this for clients for years, thinking this all needs to be branded and all makes sense and it all needs to tie into a wider marketing strategy of Craig Burgess and if it doesn't, it makes no sense and that's a really bad thing because I do this as a job and all those all those kind of negative thoughts. But then I just thought, fuck it, it doesn't matter. Who, who cares? <laughs> um, who, who cares? Nobody's analysing this shit. If, if somebody's enjoying it and if that only person is enjoying it is me, then... Who cares? It doesn't matter, and it's it's proved over 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 a year of doing this kind of thing. It's proved effective in terms of as a marketing tool, and it's proved effective to make friends, and it's proved effective to build skills too, and and open up new opportunities and all that kind of thing. So I I don't, I don't see that there's really any bad things in that. And it, yeah, mine came from the same thing: just starting, just getting get in doing things uh, <laughs> uh but yeah that, that's that's hard for some people to say that because they're looking for the magic potion right they're looking for the the little secret they want to get zero to ten thousand followers on twitter because somebody told them that's the way that they're going to make loads of side income uh mm-hmm. and, and then they can quit the job or whatever and this is it this this will be them done and set for life but the the truth is it's more about enjoying it i think than Mm-hmm. any of that kind of other stuff. Yeah, for sure. I've, I've been talking lately about kind of doing a, a community for ADHD creatives and I've been really sort of trying to navigate what that would look like. And it's, it, it's similar in like the, my goal is for that to be fun and mm-hmm. to be encouraging to people. Like I'm, there's this weird thing where I'm trying to figure out how to, because I, my, my goal isn't to like create this like 
an empire of, of a community or something to like fund me doing that. But there's this like thing that I'm trying to kind of navigate with how, how people get engaged and how to do a community like that, where people want to continue doing it and stay just kind of staying engaged. And I feel like there's, um, I can't quite remember the point that you, you sparked that I was going down this path, but I'm, I guess it's just something that I'm wrestling with. And you said something that kind of cued off where I'm really wrestling with how to do this community because I know that there's like potential there and I don't know how to do it in a way that is going to get people to keep people engaged and to keep people wanting to do it. And that's where I'm kind of drawn to possibly doing some, I, I guess this was it. I'm, I'm wrestling with the idea of doing like some sort of a course, mm. but it's not in the, like, I want to do a course because I want to retire and make a million dollars in a weekend or something like that. It's because I, I really want a community engaged. And I, I think I've found for myself that the communities that I am engaging in are these kind of course based ones. There's like this purpose to the community that bring that brings people coming back together weekly or however often. And yeah, so there's this, I think there's this weird thing and I, where some people are in the position where they're trying to like, I need this to work. And so I need to get 10,000 followers because I need to make money. And I think you and I and others, it, it's almost easier because we don't need it. Yeah. And so there's, there, there's, cause I, I have a good job. I, if everything fell apart tomorrow, it's like, well, I guess I'll go back to playing video games and that's totally fine because I'm, I'm doing okay. And I think there's, there's a weird dilemma behind the drive of, because there's a bit of that drive that can happen when you need it. Like you can really pour energy into it. Kind of, I, I feel like that's maybe the early on Gary, Gary V, like he had that energy to really just pour everything into making this work. Cause he, he wanted to make, like had to make it work. Yeah. And there's sort of that like extreme hustle, but then there's the other side of it where you can be okay with like having a motto of, I'm going to destroy my followers. I'm going to like destroy my following. And that's okay because I don't, I don't need this. And through that ends up coming out authenticity which ironically will then attract people to that. And so you end up having growth by not needing that by, because there's the desperation isn't there. You're just able to be yourself and people are drawn to that. Yeah. I've, I've already seen it loads of times. Even when I tweet, even when I say on this podcast, if you, if you're a reply guy on my Twitter, <laughs> fuck you, I'm never going to reply to you. People still do it. And even when I tweet stuff like that, people turn it into a joke, and then they just start doing it even more. So you, you, you just, you just can't win. You just can't win right. on any of this stuff either way. But you're completely right that the more you need it, the less you're going to get it. And and it is it, trying to. And if you really do need it, you've got to hide it. You've got to hide the fact that you need it. It's, it's the the same mm. same way that with anything, anything scarcity versus abundance mindset. Neither of us need it, so we come across as genuine we try we're trying stuff out it's it comes across more interesting like that i think right anyway we've been going for an hour and 15 yeah. so we should pr we'll probably wrap up um any final thoughts 
Uh, no, I mean, uh, this was great. I realized I've avoided saying your name before. I remember you made fun of somebody for pronouncing it wrong and I'm terrified that I'm going to do it wrong. So I'm going to give it a shot and you let me know if, if I've got this right. Is it Craig? <laughs> Did I get it? Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's perfect. Yeah. Craig. Okay. It's, I remember you saying it and you said two different versions and you said, this is the one Americans say, and then this is the one that's right. And to my ear, they sounded identical. And so <laughs> I didn't know how it was going to come, come across, but it sounds like you said I got it. So Americans, awesome. Americans say Greg, essentially. And my name is not Greg, it's Craig. So if right, that sounds... There's a bit more of that strong A to it. Yes, yeah, you extend, yeah, got the, it, got it. extend the vowel. Craig, not right. Greg. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, man, it's been Nailed fun. It. Yeah, it's been a blast. It's been uh, fun to hang out with you and good to, uh, good to chat. Yeah, speak again soon.